and welcome to The Green Tea, an energy podcast by the Johns Hopkins School of Advanced International Studies. My name is Amethyst Devlin, and today I'm joined by my co-hosts, Shada Hushmandi, Abigail Hunter, Leonie Hikita. And we are so excited to be bringing this very first episode of The Green Tea to you, wherever you are listening to it. Thank you so much. We are so excited to have you. This is a special episode of our podcast because we really wanted to take the opportunity to introduce ourselves, talk about why we think that this podcast is so relevant in today uh, today's times. And to kick us off, I wanted to go ahead and pass this to Shada. I think that she just just beautifully describes how our podcast came about and also what we are trying to do here. Initially, when we talked about this podcast, it was over, um, you know, a meal and a couple of drinks that we were just sat down together talking to each other. And uh, we thought why there is no podcast in this uh, field, energy uh, and environment that would talk about like really complex stuff but in simple words. And to people that get anxious about asking questions about the environment, they care about the climate change, they care about the energy scarcity, but at the same time, they don't know how or when or from whom um, ask the question. Yeah, I think that it's like so relevant to acknowledge that there are so many things you can be a master of in this world that there's no way that each person can individually be a master of a lot of things, right? So each one of us, we are masters in our own field and we study sustainable energy. So we're really inept in this and we are able to talk about this. But I think that for me, I really want to see this podcast impact um, somebody who works in marketing who doesn't necessarily see themselves in the fight for climate change. They don't know how their career um, plays a role in this energy transition. And, and this really helps them understand and see themselves in this fight because we really are all in this together. And adding to that, a lot of countries, including the one we're in right now, finally have legislative and regulatory vehicles in place to start building this clean energy future. So the problem now becomes how people perceive and whether they ultimately accept the built infrastructure as part of this transition. From mining to new transmission lines to any other visible changes in our landscape that might be needed, hopefully our podcast can bring information on why it's needed um, to the audience that's ultimately going to be feeling the impacts of this infrastructure through the benefits of climate mitigation and adaptation, but in also some ways that maybe people aren't always comfortable with. Hopefully we can counter the nimbyism and challenges to actually rolling out these new enabling infrastructures. We're really excited to bring that conversation to the people who maybe aren't as aware of it, but are certainly deeply affected by it. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of people are having a question about climate change or energy, but they hesitate to ask uh, um, like their questions. Maybe they, or they think that it's, it's maybe a dumb question. But I want them to uh, be open and ask our expert what they think about energy or climate change. I think one of the problems with uh, the climate change uh, communication, like the way that policymakers talk to people, is the fact that they don't speak with their language. Mm -hmm. And that's why people don't fully understand, especially in, in the developing world where I come from, um, a lot of people just don't uh, follow the climate change and, and its news because 
they just simply don't understand it. Even the media speaks uh, the same way that the policymakers. That's speak. kind of what I see us being able to do is really breaking down that barrier of like, here's the statistic, but also here's the study that actually informed that, and here's all of the um, conclusions and assumptions that they made to come to that statistic and, you know, kind of really applying that in a more realistic sense. And, and if we're not doing that to our listeners, you know, I just Please threw a jargony out. word out there. I said nimbyism, which means not in my backyard. Please call us out because, you know, we this is our mission statement. So I think if we're not meeting that need, then like we really hope that you call us out on it and we rectify that. And in the next episodes are able to dig deeper because, you know, People, the reason people regurgitate information and the language they're hearing it is because they're trying to stay at a level that, you know, makes them accountable and, and seem like an expert. And we're trying to bring it to a level that's more accessible and digestible for everybody. So keep us accountable in that regard. And um, we'll try to do our best to uh, communicate in the way that we've described um, so this podcast is actually effective. Well, yeah. and I think that that just kind of naturally segues us to to talk about a future segment that we do want to have on this podcast, which is called Dumb Questions Only. And I know that everybody in this room has had this moment and everybody that I ever went to school with had this moment as well, where you're sitting in front of a professional who has dedicated their life to um, research in this particular field. And you just feel like... you you can't be the person that's going to raise your hand and ask a question because it's such a, to you, a question that just like nobody else has this question. It's a dumb question. And so you raise your hand anyways and you say, this might be a dumb question, but, <laughs> and we have an entire segment that we want to dedicate to that. If you are curious about a local energy law that was just passed and you're very curious about it. Um, you don't know how electricity works. Um, we are here to answer any of these questions because they are not dumb questions. And I think that going off of what you said, our mission statement is like, we really want to have our podcast be an impactful piece of body. Just to give you an example, <laughs> I, and, and we'll get to this as to how we're connected. But when I started this degree program that brought this group together at Johns Hopkins SICE, I was like, I don't know, gun to my head, I could define a fossil fuel. Like, I just, I didn't know. I was like, I throw this word around. I didn't necessarily know, was it coal? Was it oil? Was it everything? Like, and, you know, it took about one class in this program for me to figure it out, but I was deeply relieved. But it's, it's things like that, right? You know, we're seeking secondary education to be able to understand it. And, you know, that's expensive. That's not accessible. So if, if our podcast can do anything, it's just to, to and you know, embarrass ourselves by admitting that we don't know things, <laughs> A, but then B, also helping you kind of have that same prog uh, progress in your in your journey and understanding the impacts of climate change and the energies that impact that. We really wanted to, to start this episode off by, by sharing where we are in our climate change journey. And we are all united by a, a one degree at Johns Hopkins School of Advanced International Studies. We study sustainable energy and we're currently, um, what is it now? Eight months away from graduation? Yeah. A little yes. bit less. <laughs> We just last night wrapped up um, a very difficult class. Um, 
<laughs> Somebody still has to submit their assignment, but podcast first, right? <laughs> um, but it, we are currently two classes and a thesis away from graduating, and we are all um, we have our very own unique stories and our own places that we have found ourselves in the energy transition and and where we want to take this degree and this education. Um, perhaps we'll start with Leonie. I think that that would be great. Um, what brought you to SICE? Like. What brought you to this degree program? What are you wanting to do with it? So I've been working in private sector about 10 years and as a business strategy consultant or venture capitalist. And I got tired of um, helping corporation or millionaire to make them more profitable. I wanted to strongly like work for society or something like substantial work. And so I remembered my uh, childhood dreams. It was uh, making a carbon-free society. And so I committed to myself quitting job and going back to school and switching my career. It takes a lot to quit your job and uh, the path you've taken and then just change your direction. And I think yeah, that shows like how passionate you are about um, the subject. Yeah, I think it also gives you a, such a different viewpoint in climate change. I mean, yeah. it, we have so much power in like the younger generations and, and how much they um, are passionate about climate change. But then to have other generations participating in this climate change with the perspective of like, I have experience in different sectors. I know how business works. I know... Um, what makes a company grind and I exactly know how I can target my ambitions and and really go for climate change. Um, so I agree. I applaud both of you who have made energy career transitions. So Shada, tell us more about yours. Well, do you know what? I should have done this way earlier, actually. I disagree the because then we wouldn't have met. Yeah. yeah. She's right. <laughs> the podcast would not be here. <laughs> Um, so, um, I, I'm a journalist, I, I'm still employed by the BBC and I'm on sabbatical leave and I'm doing this degree. Um, climate change and energy is going to be my field from now on. And, uh, I probably made the decision of doing this, um, master's degree way back in 2016. Um, when I first uh, made a documentary in India about air pollution. And it was all by accident, so I was just commissioned to do this. I, I didn't know much about it. Um, I, was, I was an expert in the energy and economics, but I wasn't um, aware of the climate change uh, impacts. And uh, I was commissioned to do it. I did it, it was fun. But when I was on the field, I realized this is more serious than what I think mm -hmm. and what it, what's been sort of portrayed in the media. And um, I, just, I just became more interested. So on the side of the e economics, I had a business show at the time, um, economics and energy, Middle East energy, um, I sort of looked into the climate change um, issue as well. And then I became interested in renewable energy, um, and eventually, like, on the side of my work, I, I was just focusing on it and, and reading about it. 
And at some points I was like, this is not enough. You know, one reported like um, every two months or one documentary every year, that's not enough. I want to know more. I want to write, uh, you know, I want to delve deeper into this subject. And that was, that was the point I decided to study. And you all know that I kind of want to still study. So. You're going to keep going. We're all going to finish, and then you're going to become a doctor on the podcast. No. <laughs> and what about you, Abigail? I'd love to hear more about yours. You know, I I wrote what I was going to say in this part of, of our podcast sitting right in front of me. And I, I actually, listening to the two of you, I wanted, I was thinking about my aha moment a little bit more clearly. And, you know, I, I got my undergrad in business. And I just remember being like, I really want to, um, to change my path. And so I got my, I changed my major to added a major in managing for sustainability. And then, you know, ended up graduating with international business and managing sustainability. And and from there got a job, whatever job took me as a, a person right of undergrad, working for the National Governors Association and international affairs, doing their international policy. And I was very lucky because at that moment in time, um, maybe an unlucky moment in time for the international community on climate change, the Trump administration had re- uh, removed the U.S. from the Paris Climate Accord. And so governors who I worked for were thrust into this international arena on climate change. And they delivered, you know, many governors maintained the commitments and, and from both parties, which is really incredible to have seen. And I took this job with the Quebec government after that job. And again, lucky that the Quebec government has been a true leader in climate change for many years. Um, and I wanted to grow that. And my boss said, you know, you're, you're a ceiling for your job where you can't promote you. So make this job your launching pad. What can you do? And I was like, I want to go get my master's while working. And I want to be better for Quebec on the areas that matter most to me, which are clean energy and electrification. And so that's what I did. And that's how I found this program. Yeah. I think that like we bonded very early off of that, where you had said to me at an event, um, I I never would have quit my job to go pursue my master's. (laughs) So it was very important for me to find something that I could um, work and, uh, and pursue my master's. And I think that like, that's for so many of us, um, a very, very interesting point that brought us to this degree because it is all online and and that's been really great yeah 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 absolutely that gives you a lot of freedom and flexibility yeah yeah definitely what's yours yeah Yeah. transition to me (laughs) (laughs) i um had a very late start to my college career um i think i've shared with you guys many times um just that it was not there were a lot of barriers in my path. I wanted to go to school for a lot of different things, and um, it just wasn't something that was obtainable um, for me. So I really held off, and I waited to go to school, and I decided that I would go back to school when um, I could make it happen for myself, and I didn't need to rely on somebody else to do it for me. And B, I was so passionate about the thing that, that I knew that that would light the fire, and I just hadn't found that thing yet. And I visited um, an aquarium down in California, and I was watching this like these incredible biologists work with this this species that was dying off because of climate change, and they were doing such incredible work that I was like, uh, <laughs> I need to do that. Like I need to do something, and it just felt like it called to me, and so. 
Um, I'm originally from the Pacific Northwest, and, and there we rely a lot on um, hydropower, and we claim a lot of renewable energy, but we don't take a lot of accountability for the impacts that it has on indigenous communities as well mm -hmm. as like ecosystems. And so I started to study biology and wild, uh, wildlife and fishery sciences. And then I ended up after about two years of studying that, I found sustainability as a minor. And I thought, oh, this is it. This is going to narrow down what I wanted to do. Wrong. Sustainability is such a big, vague term. So graduating with a degree in sustainability was like, Okay, there's a million things you could do. There are a lot of nonprofits out there. There's a lot of different work to happen. And so I just kind of made this decision that I was a little bit older. I had already started late, and I knew I wanted to pursue a higher education than a bachelor's. And so I just started immediately looking for a master's program. And this summer I moved to D.C., and we started hanging out as a result of that. But I did a fellowship with the Environmental Defense Fund and – Oddly, that led me to a career in real estate and sustainability <laughs> in real estate. Um, but you it, love it. I love it. Yeah. And I never would have pictured myself in real estate. I think that like real estate as a whole is a very, it's a field that is dominated by a lot of white men. And I never pictured myself there. Um, and, and I think that the, so many of us are susceptible to that, right? The bias that we see of a field and we don't see ourselves fitting into it. And I think all of us can agree that we have bonded so well over that. And showing up in D.C., suddenly showing up in, you know, the real estate space as <laughs> my true authentic self because I refuse to show up as anything else. Um, and I just fell in love with it. It feels so impactful to be doing work um, and helping you know corporations and other groups who own commercial real estate really dig into their climate commitments that they've made. Um, these really large, ambiguous commitments that they've made for 2030 and 2040 to their consumers. And so I just really feel like it's such a good space that I get to make a huge impact. Um, so yeah, find me in commercial real estate for the rest of my life. <laughs> so. Leonie, what's what gets you what wakes you up? You know, what's the thing that you think is gonna save us? I know I know what your thesis is on, so I, I definitely have a an idea, but <laughs> you mean hydrogen? Oh. Is that what <laughs> which color which color though? <laughs> the color of the rainbow. <laughs> yeah, my so my my thesis is a green hydrogen in sub-Saharan Africa. Yeah, uh, so hydrogen is a very hot topic right now. And because so they can uh, decarbonize the uh, manufacturing in industries or uh, like uh, hard to decarbonize in, in, right. in, in industries. And so the green hydrogen is made from water and electrolysis. Mm. And uh, but so the, the problem is so the make the cost of electrolysis. So they use our electricities, electricities from our renewable energies. So the, the country that can make cheaper electricity uh, is important. So the sub-Saharan Africa has abundant uh, solar right, yeah, energy, yeah. so they can make a cheaper uh, electricity. So, and I feel like we all, you know, when coming up with this podcast, yeah. we genuinely, when I read our proposal, I was yeah. like, wow, we all really care about different different decarbonizing thing, like potential, different different areas within the, you know, the massively large umbrella of sustainability, like yes. Amethyst pointed out. So, so I always thought for you is like hydrogen based on what you were interested in, but correct me if I'm wrong, like what else when we're 
doing our many, many modules in grad school? <laughs> like, are there other things that you're like, oh, I'm super excited about, um, you know, uh, MDC commitments. I'm super excited about the developing world or I don't know, just other things that get so your blood flowing. The, this is a, like a one thing that energy is very excited about. So energy is, so as economic growth, energy as like a, you say consumers, and energy as a politic and uh, energy as a uh, securities. So it's related to a lot of things. But so for me, the more, most interesting was uh, developing, economic developing. Uh, so especially I'm interested in uh, like helping for developing countries as uh, uh, economic growth. So yeah, this is one thing I'm pers per pursuing uh, by, by using these uh, master programs. I will say like I, I do love every time we get together and talk. I mean, before we even started recording this episode today, we were talking about Are all of... <laughs> but even before I mean we just got together and we stood around your very fancy apartment and we talked about like oh well what did we you know we just turned in this huge assignment and Some we each yeah. got to <laughs> we each got to like study a different country and I think that like so much of my undergraduate study was so United States focused that yeah. I really love that international context that we get in our degree program. And we get to learn from each other, just like what country did you work on? Like what, what energy roadmap were you working on? You know, and I think that that influences the way that we enter the world as professionals as well. Absolutely. I, I think one of the projects that I worked on and I, I really enjoyed it was that ICEF, um, the blended finance mechanism for uh, sub-Saharan Africa and um, um, yes I, I agree I'm, I'm very passionate about the developing world as well I want to deny it <laughs> but I am <laughs> the, the reason I want to deny it is is actually uh, it's it's a very practical reason because non-OECD countries mm -hmm. they uh, lack uh, data transparency and as a researcher, it's very difficult to obtain data. Uh, I mean, you can act as a researcher that don't want to go deeper into mm -hmm. the files of data and maybe go uh, to the countries and, and obtain data that is not available in English online on Google Scholar um, and, and get the job done. But that's not the kind of work I want to be but even it. that project we did together, I, like Shada, incredible writer that she is. Mm -hmm. The biggest thing she had was it was hard. Like we had to put it in our in our ultimate conclusions and recommendations. There was no data transparency in a way. And this was a program funded by the U.S. Um, like USAID, and we still couldn't find data. Like it was quite frustrating. And it, but but what we read because we had a lot of project completion data available, and what we read was very powerful in terms of like its effectiveness. And it was not a lot of money. Like what that was the most amazing thing. And I think maybe what um, both of you, I think, have shown your interest in so much aptly. So is it, it doesn't take a lot to help these burgeoning economies be able to leverage resources that they have readily available mm -hmm. to help them grow. And whereas with us in this, in like the U S and Canada, where I'm from, it's way more complicated. <laughs> so you have these sunk assets that are like, you know, hard to, to move away from in a way of life that's adhered to them. So 
We haven't heard about what wakes you up in the morning. They're just being kind. They they all know what I love. <laughs> I love the batteries. <laughs> I love the Crippmans, the critical minerals. Um, I I feel like I should have, you know, I wish I was a little girl that was curious about rocks as a child because then I would have pursued geology and, and actually been able to justify my interest wow. in critical oh. minerals in that way. But I really, I, I'm constantly you know, reading, I have to prep for every meeting I take on this in my day job. And then also whenever I do projects on it, I have to read so much. I need to, I need a second master's Johns Hopkins <laughs> in geology. Um, but I do, I think it's the future, you know, uh, a friend of mine who works on this every day, who's a real expert in the field. She says that uh, minerals are the energy of the future and it's a commodity that there are multiple commodities and sometimes they're not even qualified as commodities that we need to monitor as a group because um, their processing and their extraction and their end use is so diverse and complicated. Um, my my roommate and good friend, she calls me at the store and she's like, why are batteries so expensive? And I'm like, Erin, let's get into this. Like, it is so complicated. And then she's just like, no, I mean, triple A's. Like, I just wanted a new, a new set of batteries for our remote. Like, That's yeah. <laughs> I don't work in that sector. Yeah. And I'm like, I mean, it's the same, but yeah. same, same, but different. And I, you know, I think that I, I'm still learning every day about this, but this is going to be, you know, I think transmission infrastructure, which is my other complicated, you know, relationship because it's much harder, I find. Um, and then batteries, I think, really will be a huge part of the equation in terms of solving some of the decarbonizing uh, decarbonizing needs in in uh, a lot of wealthier countries that are kind of stuck and hamstringed by um, some of the challenges we've talked about. So yeah, because you like stones, but it's a, <laughs> <laughs> but That's yeah. <laughs> But now it's a very important topic uh, about energy securities. Uh, so right. we, we learned in the class like 80% like of global supply chain of critical minerals is uh, dominated by China. Yeah. So, you know, U.S. government wants to, you know, re reconstruct the strategies. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, this is a very like a key topic. Uh, for like government workers yeah and it's interesting you know we talk we haven't talked about energy security as much yet but like this has been highly illuminated by the ukraine um ukraine russia situation that has really provoked a global energy crisis and again i work in in canada affairs quebec affairs and we we had germany knocking on our door this summer um just trying to understand both hydrogen export potential but also critical mineral battery storage potential because of energy being used as a manipulation tactic, um, a war tactic. And so it's not, you know, it feels like such high level topics we're talking about, but these are real people's lives that are going to be impacted by not being able to turn the lights on, not being able to, I mean, we're all watching and, and maybe we'll cover this in a later podcast episode, but we're all watching to see what happens this winter not only in Europe, but also in the U.S., who, who's going to see a huge shift in LNG exports towards Europe to support that that may impact parts of this country, right? And, and then other, other global actors that are going to be supporting Europe through that, that harder time. And, and I think that this is why it's, it's a climate change conversation. It's an a energy security conversation. It's a, 
you know, how, how are the lights in this room on conversation? How can I make sure the lights in this room like are, are, are still on conversation? Yeah. I think that, you know, there's, there's, these topics are so high level, but they have such a direct human impact. And I, hopefully we cover that aptly throughout some of these episodes. Yeah. Abigail coming in again with a beautiful transition moment. <laughs> <laughs> We really hope that you enjoyed this podcast and, and really hope that you enjoyed getting to know Wes, but also seeing yourself inside of this energy transition, because that really is at the core of why we wanted to start this podcast and, and why we wanted to put our voices out there. And we hope that you will join us again for our next episode. Our next episode is going to be hosted by Abigail. Abigail, could you tell us a little bit about the next yeah, episode? Yeah, so we're going to talk about a little small piece of legislation recently passed by the United States. You might not know it. Uh, called the Inflation Reduction Act. Actually, you may not know it because the name is <laughs> sometimes not necessarily connected by just the, the top line items that we talk about. And that's no offense to, to friends of mine in the, on the Hill that help us. <laughs> um, but uh, we're going to try to talk about this in a way that hopefully will help people have a better understanding of what is a large, large piece of climate legislation, $369 billion estimated in terms of spending um, on climate. It's it's honestly, you know, unheard of. unheard of. And also the first time the U.S. Congress has passed like a climate bill at yeah. that level, right? You know, both House, Senate, and then put into law. Um, so yeah, it seems, seems like appropriate topic for us to unpack yeah. in this podcast. And in the meantime, please let us know what question you would have asked when you raised your hand and said, this might be a dumb question, but, yes. and until next time we are the green tea from Johns Hopkins and we are so excited to be hosting you. Have a good night or Cheers. whatever time of day you're listening. <laughs> <laughs>